1: Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television
0: today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me,
1: Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
2: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world.
3: We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets
4: Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000.
3: And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast.
4: Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now. Or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio.
6: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague Noel is on an adventure today
5: and will be returning soon. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Matt, Matt, we're going old school with this one. Yeah,
6: we're (laughs) talking about a TV show that I haven't thought about in years.
5: Ah, Thunderbirds. (laughs) Wait, I thought we were talking about the iconic... Ford car, the Thunderbird. Oh, shoot. You know what?
6: It's not that. It's the Thunderbird uh, fighter jet.
5: That's what we're talking about today. Okay. All right. Well, now that we've figured out what today's show is about let's continue Uh, like jokes aside this is this is a weird one for us because every so often we run across something that strikes all of us uh with this sudden revelation like why have we not ever done an episode on this why haven't we talked about it a thunderbird if you are not from the u.s or you're not familiar with cryptozoology is a very a very old myth. It's a part of folklore for multiple indigenous communities in Canada, in the modern-day U.S., and in South America as well. This is an ancient, ancient story. Like, it's up there with the uh, Citeca. Remember when we, when we kind of, I would say, solved the mystery of the legend of the red-haired giants? Yeah, kind yeah.
6: Yeah, of. yeah we, I, you know... <laughs> We didn't get quite to the bottom of it, but we figured out some stuff. Go listen yeah. to that right now if you have a chance.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert: um, Giant depends on the perspective of the perceiver, right? So your mileage may vary. I, I'm just saying that Shaquille O'Neal's idea of what a giant is probably very different from like a um, a shorter person's idea of a giant. So. Mm-hmm. This also reminds me, Matt, of the of the stories of sea monsters when we when we found out that <laughs> when we found out that yes, uh, colossal marine creatures probably did attack wooden vessels at some point, but the thing that they don't tell you when when they're sharing those stories is that those wooden vessels were much smaller <laughs> than <laughs> than you might think looking at woodcuts or uh, lithographs. but here are the facts. We got to talk about the legend of this thing, and as we as we go into this, I wanted to I wanted to ask you, Matt, what is like the biggest bird you have seen in person?
1: Mm.
6: Well, you know, I've been to many a zoo uh, since I have uh, a child. Mm. There are some very interesting storks that exist at the, I believe it's at the Atlanta Zoo. They have these very strange, I think they're called shoehorn, maybe storks. Maybe that's wrong. Somebody will have to look into it. They have very strange looking large beaks. Like The beaks shouldn't be attached to a creature of that size because they're not massive birds, Um, but they are very, very large. I've also seen uh, some emus, which are flightless birds, Uh, so that doesn't really count for today. Maybe let's go with the biggest bird I've ever seen was in my backyard, and it was some kind of stork-like well, like water
5: creature that had a very large wingspan. Okay, a stork or a crane or a heron or something yeah. like that. Yeah, those things are, <laughs> those things, those birds are amazing. <laughs> I, I believe, um, I'm having a hard time, I was thinking about this, I'm having a hard time Nailing down the biggest bird I ever saw, and I guess like you did, I would categorize flightless birds slightly differently. You know, a shoebill or an ostrich. I think they're in a kind of a class of their own. Uh, the there are a couple of vultures that are native to our home state of Georgia the turkey vulture the black vulture and I've seen a turkey vulture before I've seen a group of them and gotta be honest if you're not expecting it it is an uncool thing to see they look like 'er ne'er-do-wells they're just hanging out like they it like if birds smoked cigarettes (laughs) Turkey vultures look like they would hang out in an alley and like pass around a cigarette. Just over a dead
6: carcass. Mm
5: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. And uh, oh, man, there there are a lot of there are a lot of things about those birds in particular that humans would probably think is is gross. Like the way they purposely vomit on their feet, the fact that they can eat almost everything. Uh, Turkey vultures usually weigh about five pounds which sounds really small until you consider that their wingspan is something like six feet which is nuts. Uh, and you can imagine if you're not an ornithologist or you're not an amateur bird watcher, if you have an experience like Matt or I've had and you unexpectedly see a large bird, your first thought probably isn't, what's the taxonomy there? Your first thought is something like, holy smokes, that thing is huge. I yeah. don't want to hang out with it.
6: <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. And it's For my eye, it's very difficult to tell the features of, say, a bird's head when it is, if it is just taking flight near you or even like at a significant distance, just seeing the wings. That's really what my eye focuses on. And then, you know, attempting to figure out what kind of bird it was. Was that an owl? Maybe was that a hawk? I I, like that for me. My mind doesn't work that way, because as you said, I'm not an ornithologist. I don't have that special knowledge. And for anyone just experiencing that in a moment, especially, or just wings, large wings going overhead, it may be very difficult to look up and say, oh, that was a, you know, condor.
5: Right, right. And condors as well. Uh, Even before we figured out that they were uh, reproducing asexually, condors were already amazing creatures uh, and kind of scary you know if you if you like uh our colleague have a have a fear of birds then of course you don't want to kick it with them and that's understandable you know birds are an important part of the ecology of the world but they're not for everybody you know Uh, a lot of birds aren't particularly cuddly nor pro-human and you can't blame them (laughs) so i have seen some owls
6: recently that were very cuddly just in, really? in looking up videos for this. Yeah, there are some adorable owls. Oh, yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah. You know, one of my regrets, the last time I was in Japan, um, I got very close to visiting an owl cafe. You know, they have those, they have this whole genre of cafes that like serve snacks and tea and coffee, but their their main draw is that you can hang out with a specific type of animal. I think there are cat cafes in the U.S. now, but there's an owl cafe, uh, and I just I didn't make it, but it's it's on the list. Next time, next time we go to Japan, why don't we do a stuff they don't want you know Japan tour? Do you think we can get that in the budget? Uh, yeah obviously <laughs> i don't know <laughs> we'll see we'll see but but for now let's dive in so we know that a lot of folklore especially the ancient legends are attempts by communities of the time to interpret the world around them that's why that's why so much folklore uh, attempts to explain the behavior of animals right? Because we have to remember this is before the era of television. In many cases, this is before the era of the written word. So folks were living much more closely to the natural world. And it's no surprise then that they would have these explanations about Things that at times seemed inexplicable. If you look at the stories of indigenous American communities, especially in the Pacific Coast area and the Great Lakes, you'll see that many have these surprisingly similar legends about enormous predatory birds, like birds that will eat you, even if you're the size of Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah.
6: Yes. Well, and they have uh, many of them have special powers, like paranormal, like powers. In several of the legends, I saw the description that the their wings are so large and powerful when they flap, uh, thunder or lightning was associated. I think thunder, right? Like, yeah. Hence, yeah. thunderbirds, right? <laughs>
1: uh,
6: but then also, you know. That if you see one in the sky, perhaps the lightning that you're seeing is actually emanating from the thing's eyes and and not from the sky itself, but this bird is creating it.
5: Right, right. And that the water falling from their bodies may may be the origin point of rain or floods, Mm. uh, that they are harbingers of storms or harbingers of other natural phenomena, including Earthquakes In the lore of the Passamaquoddy's, there's a story of two people who run into an actual thunderbird because they are on a quest high into the mountains to discover the source of thunder, of thunder and lightning. And they find that it is a huge bird and it's Whoa. not a particularly cool bird. These things were treated like Godzilla in the folklore. You know, Godzilla has now... In the recent films, Godzilla has assumed kind of a nature spirit status. Like, Godzilla is a protector. It's not necessarily a villain. It's just so big and so powerful that humans are insignificant uh, in its to its existence. And that's kind of like what a Thunderbird was or how it was treated. There are stories about it getting into fights uh, full on like blockbuster movie-level conflicts with other large animals or nature spirits. Uh, There's one where a thunderbird fights a huge killer whale, and the battle just wrecks the entire area. Trees are flattened, the ground is shaking. In retrospect, if you look back on that legend, it sounds like it might be a way to explain an earthquake, right?
6: Yeah. Yeah. There's a thunderbird engaged in moral combat somewhere off the coast?
5: <laughs> yes, yeah, and I don't know why would you say it like that, man. It sounds like I think you would. I think I've said this before, but you would be such a great news anchor. And oh, I, yeah, feel like,
4: like,
5: <laughs> I feel like I feel like if you were if you were on like you know, welcome back to W M A T T, the news at six. A giant bird has been wreaking havoc of the Pacific coast. Yeah. At 6 p.m. Uh, naval
6: forces were alerted. <laughs> yeah. <the> Thunderbird battle. <laughs> the epic. All right. So I'm going to laugh
5: at myself. Okay. Also, you know, in the defense of these mythological creatures, they weren't all bad, right?
6: No, no. Well, with many legends like this, there's a perception that just because something has a ton of power, and it, you know, holds a special place within the cultural framework. That doesn't mean that it's all bad. It, it means that perhaps there's a benevolent side to this this creature, this this power of nature. And I think there was something. There are a couple of stories of it where it would actually assist tribes in finding food if they were, you know, going through a a time where they were in lack of food, or mm-hmm. it would like, you know. Fly in a specific area or in a direction where they could f- acquire something like that,
5: yeah, it could lead you places if mm-hmm. you treated it with respect mm-hmm. that was That was always one of the key components of the story. They were also at times um, moral compasses, forces of judgment uh, you 'll find some stories in indigenous communities arguing that the thunderbird is responsible for punishing people who break social taboos or moral codes. And in the Ojibwe, specifically, the bird is thought to have been created by a cultural hero named Nanabosho, who created the bird as a way of moving the cycles of the natural world, you know, from winter to spring to summer and so on. But there's an interesting wrinkle here because we opened at the top saying that this was a regional cryptid. That's true, sort of. Kind of the way that people would say Bigfoot is mostly Pacific Northwest thing, but the Yeti exists in the Himalayas, right? Or the skunk ape or swamp ape exists in other parts of, of the world. And we find something similar to that Here, It it should already be pretty fascinating that so many indigenous communities on these first two continents have a similar story about a giant bird that you just don't want to mess with. It can cause earthquakes. It can cause storms. They're oddly specific in, in the mythology and folklore, but it's not unique. In fact, we found that multiple communities, many of whom never had contact with each other also have myths about something very like a thunderbird.
6: Oh yeah. If you uh've looked at South Africa you can see tales of something called the Kwane, I think that's how you would say it. T H E K W A N E. It's also known as Ipendulu, or guess what? Hmm. Very similarly,
5: lightning bird. There oh, it snap. is. Snap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And- And the folklore of the Zulu or the Pondo where this occurs, uh, that folklore is independent from the folklore of Native American populations, at least as far as we know. Uh, And this thing, this is so weird because this is like the Thunderbird's evil brother. You know, like um, in Lion King, Mufasa is... Is the good lion, right? And then he's got his brother, Scar, who's a real pill. <laughs> so this, this lightning bird is different from a thunderbird because uh, it has some of the same powers, but it's also vampiric. It thirsts for blood, and mm. it works with witch doctors and masters of the occult. It attacks them. It can also, side note, transform into a very attractive male human to seduce women. Uh, and the rubber hits the road in the world of folklore. Sometimes there have been cases where murders are committed because somebody suspects that a, a person is, in fact, a lightning bird in human form. That's actually happened. It's not a joke. It's it's a tragic thing. Um, of course, those explanations don't hold up in court. And we still, we still have, I think, some more stuff to dive into in in the role of witchcraft accusations on the African continent specifically, you know, and the Mediterranean as well. But, but yeah, long story short, there's, there are tons of stories about things that are very much like thunderbirds across the world, even if they're not called specifically thunderbirds. In Chilean and Argentinian mythology, uh, in Maori mythology, you find similar things. And the Maori case is really interesting, too, because of the preponderance of large flightless birds in that part of the world. And I don't know about you, man, but I, I, I don't trust flightless birds. Uh
6: I don't, I don't know if it's a matter of trust for me. There's just something off about them. I mean, <laughs> you know, just I think it has something to do with just having large wings still. If you, if you look at an emu or something like that, or an ostrich, and you see its giant wings that it can stretch out the way another bird can, but it just hangs out with them. Like, it's almost like it's got its hands in its pockets all the time. <laughs> you know? There we go. <laughs> I don't know.
5: It just weirds me out. I've been I've been watching or looking into this. I was watching videos of people who have rescued large flightless birds and seem to form affectionate bonds with them. But it's still crazy. Yeah, there's something uncanny about it. It just feels it feels very much like they are from a different world or a different time.
6: And we didn't even mention their long neck spin. Oh, really, really necks. long necks. Uh, it's
5: so weird because you can okay. see people <laughs> petting them and they have like their necks will like crane around the shoulders or they'll snuggle up inside of someone. It's I don't know, man. It's like a fun doodle with a head uh, <laughs> like the pool okay. toy. But it wants you to die. I Anyhow, uh we've We've set the scene, just establishing that these legends exist, that multiple groups who were not in contact with each other have discovered or propagated stories that are often beat for beat, very similar. So let's pause for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll see what we can suss out between the fact, the fiction, and the folklore.
0: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded...
4: Old-school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000.
3: Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only
4: one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: We're back. All right. So all these people across time and across the world have a story about a gigantic avian thing that is large enough to... Prey on human beings. That is associated with natural disasters, dangerous weather, and they all have these regional variations. But those regional variations are relatively cosmetic. Often, you know, they're not they're not core changes to the plot or the description. So the question is, Matt, how did so many people come up with this story? Is it like some sort of Jungian archetype? Uh, Is there some great game of telephone that just caused these once distinct myths to become increasingly similar upon retelling? And as the people of the world came into contact with each other more and more often? I don't uh, don't know. Is it just Mothman running around (laughs) across the entire world? Always was. Cue the astronaut (sighs) meme, right? But instead (laughs) of the planet, it's the Mothman statue with the crazy, crazy butt um shout out to you point pleasant there's another question it's the most tantalizing question could thunderbirds be real here's where it gets crazy yes well no
6: well mm, kind of
5: yeah (laughs) we so rarely get to say this yes the more you look into it the odds are that these stories are based in fact Or some version thereof. You'll find historians speculating that indigenous communities originally based these legends on the discovery of pterosaur fossils, like the large flying reptilian looking things with uh, scythe like heads. Uh, There are folks, uh, there are historians like uh, Tom Holland, not the guy who plays Spider Man. Oh, okay. He's he's too busy. Uh, (laughs) Adrian Mayer, who have made a it's like a speculative case. There's conjecture, but it, but it's pretty pa- plausible, you know. Like, imagine we're living thousands and thousands of years ago, and we're out walking around. We're hunting something or migrating somewhere, and then, boom, we literally stumble across the giant bones of a long, extinct creature. Uh, the pterosaur, by the way, was... Extinct since has been extinct since the late Cretaceous Age, which was around 66 million years ago. So we wouldn't have known what this looks like. We just found these enormous bones. What do we do?
6: Well, yeah, and I man, I was reading so much on this, Ben, just about bird bones themselves, and and how even a you know a pterosaur is a dinosaur, right? But is a flying dinosaur, and had likely. I look. This is just me remembering what I read. But it would have slightly different bones than, let's say, a land walking dinosaur. The density would be a little bit different, just for it to be able to take off and glide the way that it did. Um, those bones, because of their structure. They they don't stick around as easily and as well as a larger, denser bone would and become fossilized in the same manner. Uh, okay. I, I just keep that in mind. So, like, it is a rare thing to come across a pterosaur bone or set of bones. And then you'd have to be able to, you know, put those bones together in a way, or you'd have to have enough of them to actually resemble a creature, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
6: to make a picture out of what it could be. But uh, like just just think about that, especially if it's thousands of years ago. You find a bunch of bones that are kind of scattered in one place, but there's one that looks a lot like a strange skull that you've never seen before. I feel like that's the only way to like begin actually imagining what a creature could look like or be is if you find a skull.
5: Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, you might just find a very long humerus or something Mm -hmm. like that, and you're like, "Well, this is a huge bone." It was, yeah. you know, you probably would have enough knowledge of the natural world to not think it was just a creature with one bone. Yes. Like it, was, it was just a, a walking meat stick or something like that. But you would also, even if you had never seen a living example of this thing, you would have enough knowledge to think, if if you found the right pieces, you would have mm-hmm. enough knowledge to think, this looks like a big bird skeleton, Kind of, mm-hmm. it, it, And it leads to a lot of speculation, you know, like the famous, um, the famous conjecture about the origin of the Cyclops myth, which is basically the idea is that ancient people stumbled across an elephant skull. If you've never seen an elephant skull before and you've never seen a living elephant, then the area where the trunk is based is a big hole and it looks like that's where an eye would go. It's totally understandable, you know?
6: Oh, yeah, especially if it was a mastodon or something that's even larger in scale, right? And you have that same kind of structure, you you could totally see that that, that thing's a cyclops,
5: for sure. Totally, 100%. I'm looking at elephant skull photographs now, and, and they're freaky. You know, if you if you don't see the rest of the skeletal anatomy, if you just see the skull then, yeah, it looks uncomfortably close to to human-like. You know what I mean? Especially the teeth. But... Yeah. But that's... It's quite possible that that's what happened. That indigenous community stumbled across an, as you said, very rare find of something like a pterosaur and thought, there are giant birds around. We need to watch out. And there's another complicating factor, which is this. You've... You've just had this extraordinary experience, a once in a lifetime thing. Now you are hypersensitive to everything that happened before that discovery, during that discovery, and after that discovery. It could be plausibly attributed to the creature itself. So maybe, maybe we're out there, fellow conspiracy realists, millennia ago, and we have just survived an astonishing and dangerous storm, you know what I mean? The sky was lighting up, the land was flooding, the earth was shaking, and then in the aftermath, we find this strange skeleton. Then it's totally reasonable for us, as rational people, to assume that the two events are related, right? Like, this storm had something to do with this creature, so it's a big bird, but it also has weather powers.
6: Yeah, well, it's possible, yeah, just just smashing two instances together like that's very common in humanity right that's just what we do
5: yeah it's 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 a hot it's a hot thing it's like what all the cool people are doing uh this still doesn't explain everything because the thunderbird as depicted in mythology is often like clearly avian it's got feathers right Mm -hmm. so how do we explain the specificity here These stories, those are big reveal. These stories could, in fact, be based on real life encounters with actual kaiju like birds. That's nuts. There there was a real thing. There were these real, enormous and quite dangerous birds that today are known as teratorns or terror birds.
6: Terror birds?
5: Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> yeah.
6: Uh, ben, you, you found some very interesting research for this specific thing, terror and I, man, I went down a deep rabbit hole of looking at these things. There were two, I think, species that were focused on in at least some of the, some of the writing that was there. And, man, they're huge. They're these giant birds of prey. You know what that means. They eat animals. They eat other things. They fly they around animals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and they were they ranged from gigantic. Essentially, this is how I would describe it to, you know, a, a large bird. But, but like they got pretty dang big. Uh My gosh. So there's one species called the Argentavis magnificens. <laughs> yeah. Magnif- <laughs> Super humble name. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Magnific- magnificence. I don't know how to say scientific words, you guys. Magnificence, yeah. sure, sure. It has something to
5: do with silver because of the Argent. Anyway. Yeah, this is on the extreme end of the spectrum, right? These these territorns, um, in the taxonomic sense, they're they would be described as a family. Like you said, they range in size and behavior. But our old boy magnificence is currently believed to have had a wingspan of anywhere from 16 to 26 feet, making it quite possibly the heaviest bird of all time. For comparison, the living bird with the largest wingspan right now is the wandering albatross, and that one can... I think its wingspan on, on, on average is a little under 10 feet, but it can be as, as wide as 12 feet. Still, it's dwarfed by this monstrous sky demon in ancient yeah. Argentina. Yeah, that, that's crazy
6: to imagine that two of my heights equal just the albatross's wingspan in some cases, but then you would need me plus another 10 feet or me plus 20 feet. My gosh,
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I, that's in this this size, this question of size is going to be another another important component of of our investigation here. So, yeah, you're absolutely right, dude. and I am this is not a ding on any of us or anybody listening to the show, but this bird, if you ran into it and you were unarmed, would absolutely mop you it it would demolish a single human in like a PVP fight and it would not be a close call <laughs> unfortunately you just, we don't have the we don't have the arm span to to box with that thing you know the best you can do is
6: oh dang it and then it's over
5: <laughs> yeah yeah hide somewhere you know what i mean <laughs> uh because it can probably fly faster than you can run so the biggest question here is could this thing, we know they are real, we know Teratorns did exist, could they have met human beings at some point? This is similar to the conjecture about Homo Florensius and Australopithecus, right? Who, uh, Homo Florensius are the so-called real-life hobbits. Uh, we did, a, did an episode or two on them. Uh, they were around when humans were around. And it's possible that they interacted. Uh, and then Australopithecus is the largest known primate ever. So Australopithecus is often brought up as the possible origin of abominable snowman or yeti type stories. but there's there's no uh there's no proof that early humans interacted with that creature specifically. In the case of teratorns, though, which is like the worst of the three things we just named in the case of territorians it is weirdly enough quite possible that early humans ran into these things freaked out and totally thought you know they were forces of nature with supernatural powers and that was a rational conclusion to make at the time because as you said they're like 20 feet wide and this is mm-hmm. this is the closest you will come to seeing something like a plane. Uh we know that their fossils have been found uh in various spots across both continents.
6: Yeah, and they they're thought to like weigh 150 pounds, 160 pounds sometimes. I mean, that's insane to think about. My understanding, Ben, is that they lived around six million years ago. Is that is that about right? I I, I just don't know. I found that on some BBC article, but I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not.
5: Yeah, it depends on the specific type of bird you're talking about. You know, okay. because some went extinct earlier than others. Some were around later, and right now, experts are still trying to figure out what comprises a different species of a, a teratorn, And because, like you said, the bones are incredibly fragile we don't know exactly when they went extinct uh the the closest people can get is that um a few specific types are believed to have gone extinct at the end of the pleistocene which is about ten thousand years ago which sounds like a long time and it is a long time but it's much more recent than six million years and yeah it is yeah, we still don't we still don't know, but we do know something else about this period of time. This is the period of time when anatomically modern humans evolved. So, this means that it is possible that Something very much like modern human beings ran into something very much like a thunderbird. And we know that this is possible because there have been fossils found in Nevada and California. And there are, mild spoiler alert, there are purported sightings of thunderbirds in the modern day you know what, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact, yeah, yeah, as a matter of fact, let's, let's cliffhang. Let's, let's pause for a word from our sponsors, Big Birds or Us, and then we'll be back to dive into the modern day of this uh, cryptic, cryptid mystery. Does that work? That works.
0: That works. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded...
3: going to come. Well, the Challenge Gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here, along with you fans, covering every episode
4: on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players redemption seekers and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000.
3: Anyone can win relationships matter. And only one all-star will claim the title of challenge
4: champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast to live and die in LA. is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: All right, we've returned. So, today, the vast majority of experts in fields like biology, ornithology, paleontology, etc., all agree that these creatures are definitely extinct. They were around at some point, but right now, if you are walking in the wild of North America, you don't have to worry about a 20 foot bird attacking you.
6: It's, it's correct. Uh, I mean, thankfully, and that, that applies to these birds. It also applies to the dinosaurs we mentioned earlier, right? The pterosaurs, um, but there are a couple of weird things going on. Uh, we talked about the bird skeletons and their fragility, which is something that we really have to think about. There is some interesting stuff going on in the La Brea tar pits though, where yeah. uh, they found some very like many instances of these. F- um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I almost want to call them like, uh, flying reptiles, but they're, you know, they are giant birds. Um, But the other thing is that the United States is still riddled with stories of more modern-day encounters. Like, we're talking very modern-day encounters with some kind of giant flying bird, like a Thunderbird. And if you go online, you can find instances of this. I would recommend, if you're really into it, check out YouTube. You can find, oh, I don't know, the one that I was looking at was called Missing in Alaska. It's what it was called, Ben. It's called (laughs) Missing in Alaska, Enormous Monster Raptor. (laughs) So there you go. Um, There's another one, I think, from a, a group called Shiver Paranormal Documentaries. There's a whole thing about Thunderbirds there where in Pennsylvania people saw something
5: and then
6: have eyewitness reports of a giant flying bird.
5: Right. Yeah. And these are not the only cases. It's it's strange because these sightings have occurred sporadically and cyclically throughout the history of the U.S. Uh, for instance, you may have heard of the newspaper article from the Tombstone Epitaph in 1890, which describes how two local ranchers killed an enormous winged monster, they called it. And in that article... Uh, The animal is described as looking like a large alligator. And there are some crazy claims about how big it is, that its head alone is eight feet long, that it has these thick, almost translucent wings with a wingspan of 160 feet. That's kind of nuts. Yeah.
6: I thought 26 was real, real big.
5: Yeah, yeah. So then with that, I mean, the implication there would be, for the true believers, would be that they had found a relic population of pterosaurs, right? But the problem is that newspapers at this time were notorious for embellishing or outright fabricating stories, you know, like the idea of an ancient civilization hidden in the Grand Canyon. Um, hmm. It was just, it was a way to push the papers. So we can, we unfortunately have to discount a lot of the stories from that era or just enjoy them as stories, as works of folklore and fiction. But what about the more recent stories? I love that you mentioned Pennsylvania and Alaska because these things are, these accounts are much more recent than you might assume. Uh, There's one case which is probably the most famous one right now, that occurred in 1977 in Lawndale, Illinois. We'll set the scene for you. There are these three kids. They're young, three boys, um, around like 10 years old, they're out playing in the yard, and then all of a sudden, in the distance. I, I don't know what they sounded like. It may have been like, waka-waka-waka, or
0: whack.
6: <laughs> 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 yes,
5: oh, <man>. no. <laughs>
6: they were bird sounds, right? That's that's what we. That's what we're getting to, at. They were probably bird
5: sounds. <laughs> yeah. So, so what happens? What happens? So these
6: three children, as you said, Ben. One of them is ten years old. His name is Martin Lowe, and he got straight up attacked by two very large birds. One of them, at least according to the story, temporarily picked him up, carried him quite a distance, about 30 feet. Uh, And then his mom came out. Her name's Ruth. She ran to her son's rescue. She chased the birds away, and she got her son back. And they were like, oh, well, that was weird. And then they just (laughs) quacked off into the distance.
5: Yeah, yeah. The average weight of a 10-year-old there is still, is not insubstantial. So it would have to be big if it could carry a, carry a juvenile human that far and can you imagine the mother's perspective also this is interesting because there are multiple witnesses supposedly right there are the two kids who managed to run away there's the mom uh she she and her son and the witnesses also had pretty decent Specific descriptions of the birds—they have white rings around their neck. They're consistently described in terms of their plumage, their claws, their talons. Uh, the boy's mom goes to the police and is like, "Watch out! We got—we're in a killer bird situation." Mm-hmm. And their response was, "Ha ha 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 ha! Oh, silly!" Um, and then people kept this story in their mind, and it made the press. And folks went back and made good faith efforts to figure out what was going on. And a lot of the experts have agreed that the poor, unfortunate Mr. Marlon Lowe was attacked not by a Thunderbird, but by Turkey vultures or possibly an Andes condor, which is that's exactly
6: uh, the image that I had in my head. When you said the the white ring around
5: the neck Mm -hmm. and it's possible maybe that those things were out there in Illinois, but um, but possible isn't the same as confirmed, and this story is still heavily disputed. Um, the most of the analysis that you'll find out there concludes that it it was a known type of bird that was just misidentified, and maybe later as the story grew legs grew wings um, Mm. people started to embellish you know what i mean like uh you know how during an an historical event a few decades later more and more people were there like so many people claimed to be you know in the in the theater when lincoln was shot stuff like that you know many more people than who could actually fit in the ford Mm -hmm. theater uh (laughs) so this bird may have grown upon retelling especially if something like that happens when you're just 10 years old when yeah you remember that and you're 50 or something then the the bird might be a size of a building by that point
6: oh for sure i mean there's no <laughs> there's no end to how large these bird birdglers could have gotten you know <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, but it is weird to think like an Andean or an Andes condor and Andean, I think is where I've have seen it written a couple of times, but that's in Peru. So there's, it's very unlikely that thing was out there in Illinois, as you were talking about, Ben. And the other one would be, you know, if there was the other condor, it's in California, the mm-hmm. other known condor species. Then if it's a turkey vulture, it's probably not in that area either. And not quite large enough, it doesn't seem to pick up a 10 year old. Man, yeah. it just... sorry, I'm just going to keep thinking about that one because one of my fears as a child, I remember having that thought of a large bird or an owl or something like picking you up. And I think it has to do with some there's some pop culture movie or, or reference that I just can't recall right now where a child gets picked up by a flying creature and it's just horrifying. So uh, write in if you can remember what that is.
5: Yeah, yeah. This is a little bit about the Andean condor. Why it makes such a good theoretical culprit here, like yeah. you said, the the description as it stands today of that incident in 1977 does seem to match an Andean condor. Also, it's the it's considered in general the largest bird of prey currently living in the world today its wingspan is like a little north of 10 feet uh it weighs 33 pounds which again may not sound like much but that's a lot for a bird it is Um, but like you said it's on it's located nowhere near illinois it would have to fly a long way
6: Uh, yeah but you gotta think man i know we've talked about condors so much recently on the show, if you think about where they live, a lot of times, I mean, specifically in Peru, there are a couple of places where they live high up within a mountain range, right? And they use those, they use those mountains to their advantage because they are so big to be able to fly because of uh, the air kind of going up the mountain, they're able to use that to coast, Right, they're not these big flapping birds they're the kind that you see just it looks like an airplane or something flying over I'm imagining the ancient myths and some of the myths that were generated with these large birds and I'm seeing I'm imagining in this mountain range out in Peru a thunderstorm coming through or something and just seeing uh, condors making use of the air movement that's occurring because Mm -hmm. of the storm that's blowing through and just associating that image with that
5: giant bird and the power of the storm.
6: And probably the same thing on the Pacific coast of the United States with the California condors.
5: Absolutely. I think that's a great point, man. And if, you know, we would be able to build an even better case if there was something in the Thunderbird legends about throwing up or uh, urinating on oneself, because the Andean condor, has the dubious superpower of urohydrosis, which is, it's a thing that some birds do where they defecate on parts of their legs to use the the fluid as a, a cooling device. So they'll have, their legs will often be streaked with buildup of uric acid i know it's gross but i'm saying that if the thunderbird legend was like this thing is huge it eats people it causes storms and lightning also it pees on itself then we could be like oh it's it's probably something like a condor that got exaggerated uh turkey vultures also uh (laughs) i
6: know so
5: messed up dude it didn't make it in (laughs) Didn't make it into the, the final cut of the folklore. <laughs> Which I, I wonder. You know, you have to wonder like what who determines what is canonical in in this folklore. Oh, I want to this, see that
6: as a sketch or something, Ben. I'm sorry. Just like someone totally. really seriously describing the legend of the the Thunderbird <laughs> uh, and at the very end. Oh yeah. <laughs> everywhere.
5: Uh, and turkey vultures will uh vomit aggressively it's like they're hadouken they can project a vomit like 10 feet or something
6: it's the lightning thing makes sense
5: oh there you go okay yeah no uh i think we'll defer to the judges but i think that that's an acceptable answer there man um We do probably need to talk a little bit about more recent sightings as well. In Alaska, in 2002, there were multiple witnesses who claimed they saw a huge reptilian-looking flying creature that was incredibly distinctive, and this story made it to the Anchorage Daily News. You can look up accounts of it. Um, This story is also very interesting because in 2002, people had— more access to information. There was more access to audiovisual equipment. You know, we're still not at the era of smartphones the way they are today. But it is increasingly possible that now, if something like this is seen or someone thinks they saw this kind of cryptid, they should be able to whip out their phone and get some kind of footage of it. That just that hasn't happened yet, by the way. All the I don't know about you, Matt, but all the footage I saw was pretty grainy stuff.
6: Yeah, I saw some newer things, but it was it was often framed as you know, was that an eagle flying near the thunderstorm or a thunderbird? Was Ooh. that a hawk or an owl or a thunderbird? And <laughs> um, right. just didn't I didn't see anything like HD footage that made me intrigued.
5: Right. And, you know, if that footage did exist, this would be a very different episode, a very different conversation. Right now, this is still in the realm of folklore, speculation, cryptozoology, and legends. It seems, though, that, that there are some possible explanations to these stories. First, speculation based on fossils. Something like that probably occurred. And we also have to note that the big problem here just like many stories of large cryptids is it's a problem of size. It is incredibly unlikely that a bird that large could exist in the U S today without being discovered. Cause it would have to have a wide territorial range. Uh, if the population was large enough to reproduce, then people would have seen it because it's main mode of transport is flying through the air, which is a highly visible thing. Um, they probably would have hit a plane. At some point, you know what I mean? Uh, GPS, satellite surveillance. The U.S. is one of the most heavily surveilled countries in the world. So this is not like the speculation surrounding cryptids in rural parts of Western Africa. Or something. People, the, there are 330 million people here, give or take, and a ton of them have cell phones. So it, it feels like somebody at some point would have seen something this big just flying in its doofy, dangerous way through the air
6: and peeing on itself as it
5: goes. And peeing on itself <laughs> as it goes. Uh, circle of life. Well, secondly, we know that. One of the possible explanations is early human encounters with brutal, gigantic avian predators. That also probably occurred. We will probably never know the full extent of those encounters, nor will we know the frequency, but it is plausible to assume that it happened at least a few times. And if that happened to you and you survived, then that is going to be the kind of thing you remember and you tell your kids about and then your kids tell their kids about and maybe the bird just gets a little bit larger each time with each generation. Um, and there's another one. I'm, I'm trying to like, we're, what we're trying to do here, folks, is mix in the tantalizing stuff and the mundane but important stuff. So one of the downers we have to point out that we were pretty open about at the beginning here is uh, misidentification. Most people are not ornithologists, and depending on the angle and distance, you can miscalculate a lot of things. Just like if we were to see um, a UFO, we we wouldn't be able to clearly understand how our distance and how our perspective may affect what we think we're seeing. Like the point you made, Matt, about in the moment focusing on the wingspan or trying to like focus on the head. You know, it, it takes either an abnormal amount of calm or a, a high amount of experience and knowledge to look at something that surprises you. It's a huge bird and to have the presence of mind to say, let's look at the plumage instead <laughs> of, you know, instead of just losing your mind and running away. Um, yeah. And so, m- misidentification is a big part of this. We don't always get to say this on the show, but in this case, all three of those ideas fossil based speculation, early human encounters, and misidentification all three of those seem plausible. People living thousands of years ago were not dummies. Their cultural frameworks, the folklore, they were in our rational, coherent ways to understand and at times confusing world so when it comes to the myth of the thunderbird it is quite possible that at least some of those stories were based on real world events exaggerated sure embellished probably but fictional i'm not so sure now man
6: well i mean those the terra torns i think that's how he say them, but the, or Terra, Terra tornis, mm-hmm. uh, or Terra tornidae. I don't know, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever they are, the, the huge creatures that were like vultures, that were, you know, between 16 and 26 feet, or whatever it was, like that, the concept that those were around up until something like 10,000 years ago does make me think that that's where most of this originated. Um I, I at least the legends, the myths, the stuff that you 'll find in Latin America, um, maybe out in in Chile and Peru and places like that, that makes sense it makes sense in North America with indigenous tribes experiencing these things, having that vision that whoever shot that video recently with an HD camera and a hawk, I think you know flying around a thunderstorm, if you have that interaction, there are no cameras. It's early evolution of ourselves right now, as we know ourselves. You see that in the thunderstorm, you th- see that thing flying around, you hear the thunder, you see the lightning, that thing's looking ominous. Obviously, that's, that makes sense.
5: Yeah, yeah. And we didn't mention other myths, you know, like the rock, R-O-C, <laughs> not Rockefeller, but, you know, the giant bird myth. Um, the, the, these stories don't occur in a vacuum, They have to come from somewhere. And it doesn't always mean that there was a real biological creature threatening those populations. But it would be, I think, presumptuous to assume that someone just woke up one day and made something up for funsies. So with that, we have to ask for your help, folks. Have you had an encounter with a mysterious giant bird? I never thought we'd say on this show, but have have you had an encounter with a bird like this? Do you think it's possible for a creature this size to have existed in the modern day? And if so, uh, do you think it's possible that those would be around now? Currently, I'm I don't know about you, man. Like, I acknowledge that no one is certain quite when these creatures went extinct they just have kind of a ballpark guess but i'm i'm also pretty certain that they're not around now it just seems like there are too many there are too many opportunities for them to have been observed if they were there
6: yeah uh, again watch some videos if, when you get a chance online of andean condors and and or california condors look at them in flight look where they live and you'll see that If there was a bird of this size that existed, I have a feeling, maybe I'm completely wrong, that they would live in a similar area as these condors, because it's what they would need to hunt. They're large enough to where they need to have some kind of elevation and air movement to just glide, right? Mm -hmm. So they would have to be hunting around there, and they'd have to have so much food in an area like that, that I, I don't know. I just imagine that we would have observed them from the air, likely. Mm -hmm. Um, just because humans are up in the skies way more than we are just traveling around places where perhaps they might live.
5: Yeah, well said. So with that, folks, let us know. Uh, And if you have footage, we would love to see it. We'd love to hear from you. We try to be easy to find online. That's right.
6: You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube where we are conspiracy stuff. Please hang out and check us out there. Give us a follow, a like, or whatever the thing is. Hit that bell so you get notified. Whatever. Subscribe. (laughs) (laughs)
7: Like
6: and subscribe because you can't dislike anymore, I think, on YouTube. That's like a thing now.
5: Okay, that's interesting. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if you don't particularly vibe with social media, if you don't sip the social media but you have a story to share, you can also give us a phone call. You can speak directly to us through the power of... Um, telephones it's <laughs> 1-833-STD-WYTK you will get three minutes those three minutes are yours go nuts give yourself a cool nickname let us know if we can use your story and or voice on the air and perhaps most importantly don't censor yourself if your story needs more than three minutes there then write it out in full Send along that video. Send along pictures or ancillary links. We read every single email we get. All you have to do is drop us a line where we are. Conspiracy
6: at iHeartRadio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Keebi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast.
0: Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room.
1: We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right, Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today.
0: Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport, and
1: me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The Big Take from
2: Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world.
3: We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets